When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent-setting injury lawyers. Fourth inning, San Diego leading the Blue Jays 4-1. The Elks note today, as was the concern yesterday, middle linebacker Niles Morgan will not play. Against Winnipeg on Thursday, Tony Jones will be his replacement. Uh, Chris Jones saying that he will, uh, well, they'll see if he has to miss any more games. The Calgary Flames will retire Mika Kiprasov's number, number 34, on March 2nd prior to the team's home game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he's the Flames franchise leader and wins with 305 Shutouts with 41 games played by a goalie 576. Obviously, an incredible career there in Calgary. Mika Kiprasov having his number 34 retired on March 2nd. He will be the fourth flame to have his number retired. If you would have asked me to list the flames who have had their numbers retired, um, I would have been wrong. Well, okay, let's. Should we give away another shirt, Kellen? Yes. Let's do uh, it. 7804960063. Name the three Calgary Flames who have had their numbers retired. <laughs> I was and just this, I this, was just there this weekend and I can't remember is, what they is, are. This is <laughs> now somebody this is a bit of a trick question. Because look, if we're we're talking to a, a hockey mad fan base and Oilers fans know a lot about the Flames because they hate them. <laughs> and we do have Flames fans who listen to the show and hate the Oilers. Um, and I just texted Steinberg to clarify this, and he said, yes, it is It is strange because there have been, I mean, look, even if you hate the Flames, there have been more than three awesome players in their franchise history. But they, oh, yeah. they only have three players who have had their retire, their numbers actually retired. And then there's there's something else uh, going on that I'm not even sure about why they do it that way. So that's to give away another canned ham T-shirt. Name the three players, name the three people who have had their uh, numbers retired by the Calgary Flames. They're not counting Kiprasov. His will go up in March. Also today, uh, the University of Vermont has fired men's hockey coach Todd Woodcroft. That is the brother of Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft. An investigation revealing inappropriate text messages with a University of Vermont student. In a, uh, in a statement, here's uh, one thing that the university said. The specific conduct leading to the investigation involved inappropriate text messages with a UVM student on multiple occasions that failed to maintain professional boundaries. Uh, Todd Woodcroft's lawyer issued his own statement saying, we vehemently disagree with the process and the findings of a proceeding that lacked fundamental fairness and due process. 
We strongly believe the university's decision was contrary to the facts and the law. We intend to pursue justice for Mr. Woodcroft, who has been an outstanding coach and community advocate for over two decades. So that's the story there with uh, Todd Woodcroft, University of Vermont, the brother of Jay. All right. 780-496-0063. We, anybody taken a stab at this yet? Uh, I have a few texts on here, but uh, did you want to call or did you want to text? Well, if people, if people are only texting, then we can... Mm. Okay. You, I haven't told you the right answer, so you're not 100% sure either. Yeah. So do them in chronological order. That means starts with the oldest one first. That's right. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I have a unknown texter that texted in that said, McDonald, Vernon, and Aginla. That's correct. That is correct. Okay. All right. So, so there we go. write that person back. Definitely. And, and see if they, we'll if, they don't, if they don't want the shirt, then give it, they give it to the second right answer. Okay. So the retired numbers by the Flames are Lanny McDonald, number nine. Played there from 81 to 89. Jerome Aginla, number 12, played there from 96 to 2013. Mike Vernon, number 30, played there from 82 to 94, and then again from 2000 to 2002. Then they have two honored numbers. Al McInnes, number 2, 81 to 94, and Joe Neuendike, number 25, played there from 86 to 95. Both incredible players. You would think their numbers would be retired. So I, I texted Steinberg during the news and I said, is that correct? Those numbers are honored but not retired. And he just wrote back, it's all very strange. I would certainly think if you're going to retire numbers, uh, I would put McInnes and Newendike in the category of, of the three guys who do have their numbers retired. That's not how the Flames have done it. So anyway, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't even realize that, that they had honored numbers and not retired numbers. Now, the Oilers are going to have, well, they do have the Oilers Hall of Fame. So those players will be... I guess, honored but not retired. But that, you know, the Hall of Fame can be a little bit broader, I suppose, when it's talking about one franchise. So anyway, we had a winner there for a Cantam t-shirt. Mm. All right, 780-496-0063. What do we have, Kellen? Oh, and we got uh, Elks correspondents here. Actually, we got some Elks correspondents that uh, we uh, ran out of time. I know on we had a couple. Of, we, I know you said we had a couple mm-hmm. of good messages yesterday. We ran out of time for. So let's hit those. Yes, uh, because we had the shortened show yesterday. Because Elks this week, and now we are we're back to two hours here this week. So here we go. Yeah, two hours is nice. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Gary texted and says the stubbornness shown by Chris Jones is unreal. Good coaches have to be flexible and be willing to make changes. Uh, Brian Billick was the. Uh, Offensive coordinator for the high-scoring Vikings teams of the late 90s, and then as a head coach, he had the defensively outstanding Ravens. He was able to recognize his team's strengths and cater to them. Jones keeps trying the same things over and over. That's from Gary. Uh, Gary, I love how you uh, you bring in an example there. Bonus points for for doing that. And, and yeah, Brian Billick is a, is a great example. He was an offensive coach. Um, the offensive coordinator, and yes, the Minnesota team's late 90s. Obviously, that's when Randy Moss burst onto the scene. I want to say it was 98. They scored a, a ton of points. I think they went 15-1. and one. Yes, they did go 15-1, and one, and then were upset by Atlanta in the NFC Championship game. And then he goes and becomes the head coach in Baltimore, and they're known as uh, led by Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. Was Ed Reed already there? I think he was young then. Uh, they become known as one of the greatest defenses of all time. So... Yeah, that's and, and that's always an interesting thing about coaching. Every coach has a style. Every coach has a preferred way that he or she would like to play. 
but is there a point where you're trying to fit a square peg into a, a round hole? And I, I've probably told this story before. As, as people know, I, I, uh, it's, been, it's been a while now, but I did six years of play-by-play for uh, U of A basketball, the, the Pandas and the Golden Bears, and Pandas head coach Scott Edwards was, was still there. And there was one season they didn't they didn't start the season very like they started three and three or four and two or something like that but didn't they weren't playing great and then they kind of had a run where they won five of six or seven of eight something like that and I remember talking to Scott and I said oh you guys seem to have really uh, turned it around a little bit after struggling early what's what's the difference and he said Reed I was coaching last year's team. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, I was coaching. He said, I was coaching last year's team. I was devising practices and game plans and strategies for the players I had last year. And I had to realize that the, the I, I shouldn't be asking the, the current players that I had to to do those types of things because that's worth, worth their strengths, that I had to modify what I was doing to put everybody in a better position to succeed. So is that the criticism of, of Chris Jones, that he comes in and he tries to build a defense-first team and he just kind of wants an offense to take care of the ball and, and, and make a few big plays, uh, but if you don't have the quarterback to do that then and you can't adjust and bring in a better quarterback, then is your stubbornness now be is, – is, 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 is that – then becoming stubbornness as opposed to having a coaching style. I think that's what that texture is kind of saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good comment. Mm-hmm. Gerber texts in and says, it seems the days of Chris Jones finding talent are long behind him. Ottawa staged an incredible victory with a four-string QB, an unknown named Dustin Crum. He looks better than anyone the Elks have trotted out since Jones took over. Seems like Jones is getting beaten badly as a talent scout. That's from Gerber. Well, and that's the that's the criticism he's facing, right? And And Chris Jones has been known for that. That he he knows who's out there. He knows the college system. He knows the the CFL type of athlete, which I think, especially at some positions, can be maybe different than what they're looking for in the NFL. Uh, has he been able to find that? Uh, you know, obviously, when he went to Saskatchewan, he was also the GM. When he was here before, Ed Hervey was the GM, though don't be mistaken, Jones did have a, a hand in, in bringing players in. I mean, I think it was one of his camps they found Darrell Walker, who was outstanding. So, uh, but but fair question. I mean, and there's competition for talent, right? The, so the CFL teams are looking for the best players who aren't in the best league or who just aren't quite good enough to play in the NFL. Uh, there's the XFL which is competing for talent now as well. I mean, McLeod Bethel Thompson, who was the quarterback of the Argos last year, they won the Grey Cup. He went to the XFL. So you're trying, you're competing against the other CFL teams and the uh, XFL teams, and you're also trying to convince the really good players, you know what, don't, uh, don't keep trying to get an NFL contract. Don't try to get on a practice roster. Come here and start. So, yeah, it's extremely competitive. All right. Uh, well, that does it for yesterday's uh, text that I had left over. So now we fast forward to today, to the current. And uh, Murr, the uh, Stamps guy, Flames guy, although no, he yes. says he doesn't know who he is anymore, anymore. At the end of this he's, pack, so. he's got no identity. He's got an identity crisis happening here. Uh, he asks, uh, what are the Elks going to do for the, uh, for the QB situation? Not looking good. Well, well, again, like we talked about yesterday, they're, gonna, they're starting Cornelius on Thursday. Um. I'm at the point where I wouldn't do that. I would play Daigie. I realize that Daigie's success has come in games that have been already been decided. I realize that he was quite up and down in his one start against the Ottawa Red Blacks, and they lost the game. Um, 
I mean, look, as, as I've said, and I, I said this on social media after the game on Thursday, a lot of the stuff I was talking about before the season, about maybe finishing 500, certainly improving on last year, uh, even flirting with a playoff spot if you could win seven or eight games, that is all out the window for me. They are trying to win one game. They are trying to win one game. And maybe if they prove they can do that, they look good, maybe I'll bring some of that other stuff back onto the table. But right now they're trying to win one game, Uh, which is why for quarterback at this point, I might just say, Daigie, you're the the guy through the Labor Day home and home. You're the guy the next six, seven games. Two months, let's see how you can progress. Because we've seen Cornelius for two years, and he hasn't really progressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to uh, Marcel, who texts in and says, it must be very demoralizing for the Elks defense. They didn't allow Hamilton anything for a quarter and a half last game, and were only up 3 nothing. Same against Saskatchewan. With a decent offense, the Elks are in control at halftime in both games. I actually don't think they are as bad as they have looked. The offense keeps letting the rest of the team down. That's from Marcel. Uh- I think they have weaknesses on every unit. Certainly the run defense hasn't been good at times this year, but I do think the main problem is offense, and I think Marcel makes a decent point. Uh, certainly they should have, what was it in Saskatchewan? Was it 4-4 at halftime or 4-3? Um, probably should have been in double digits, certainly against Hamilton. Cornelius misses a throw on the first drive. Uh, doesn't get the ball quickly enough to a wide-open guy in the end zone in the second quarter. Throws well behind Dunbar in the second quarter, who has to reach back, deflect it, and it's intercepted. I mean, what was it, 10-6 Hamilton at halftime? Probably should have been 17-7 Elks if you're even getting average offensive play led by the quarterback. Is the defense demoralized? I don't know. I'm not in there talking to them, but they're, they're certainly on the field a lot. And you'd certainly hope if you were stopping Hamilton to the extent that they did last Thursday, maybe your offense has more than three points on, on the board for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, go to the uh, texts that have come in about those who remember the American CFL teams and have gone to, to games and that stuff and, and instances with it. Uh, Ricky brings up the most infamous CFL America moment. Says there was this guy in Las Vegas that didn't know how to sing the Canadian yes. National Anthem. Not sure you'd want to play that noise pollution. That's from Ricky. You know what? I, I, I got to say I was intentionally avoiding that because it's almost been a cliche to bring it up. It kind of is. I mean, it's on every top 10 list with bad CFL moments or bad a- anthem moments. He, he he was singing O Canada to the tune of O Christmas Tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I was, I, I thought somebody might, and I don't, uh, was it Ricky you said? Ricky. I, 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 I'm not mad at Ricky for bringing it up, but I was kind of going to avoid that myself just because that gets revisited so often. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the encapsulation, though, of the CFL American expansion in three minutes or less. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I feel at least, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna play that tonight. I think it's been played enough. Yeah, it's been played enough. Yeah, I, I didn't plan on bringing it up, but whatever. Uh, and we got a quick one here from Darren, who says, "I didn't like it when there were American teams in the CFL, but I still cheered for Baltimore over Calgary in the '95 Grey Cup." <laughs> the, the, the good old ABC. Anybody but Calgary. Yes. Yes. Uh, the I think they were the Stallions then. I believe when they played Baltimore in '94, they were the CFLers, mm-hmm. and by the time it was '95, they were the Stallions. Okay. We'll get to more of your messages here as we roll along. We're going to call a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. A 
Hi, I'm Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Guess what I guess what I went and saw in my week off. Ooh, um, I went to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Ah, there you go. Yes, it's uh, it was good. It's oh, okay. fun. It's fun. Is it great? No. Will it make you feel like you're watching Raiders of the Lost Ark or Last Crusade or even Temple of Doom? It will not. Okay. But it's certainly better than Crystal Skull. Well, that's good. It's uh, it's a little long. I mean, I don't know why every movie has to be almost two and a half hours. They they could have trimmed ten to fifty minutes easily, and I think had the same quality movie. Uh, but it, but it's fun. It's fun. Uh, there's some good moments. I like the story. It certainly was a better story than Crystal Skull. So if you're a hardcore indie fan, I'd even say go watch it in the theater. Certainly, certainly watch it. Mm-hmm. I, and the whole thing with the Dial of Destiny, I really liked what that turned out to be and how it figured into the plot. Mm-hmm. It had a science fiction hook that, that I enjoy. So there's mm-hmm. my spoiler-free review, I think. I didn't think I spoiled anything. <laughs> Indiana Jones is in it. There you go. I don't think that's a spoiler. Well, this weekend's... And, the... and there's a bad guy who's a Nazi. Ah, yes, of course. Which is Absolutely. pretty much all the movies. Yes. Um, this week is the big one, though. The big matchup at the box office. Is this Oppenheimer against Barbie? Oppenheimer so v. Got, Barbie. So you got uh, nuclear weapons mm-hmm. against a, a doll. Well, against a nuclear bombshell. <laughs> oh, jeez. <that's, laughs> well, you're just laying on the cheese tonight. Uh, this Barbie movie looks interesting, though, because I think it's kind of uh, also spoofing the whole Barbie mentality. Is it yeah, not? it's supposed to be a comedy, so... Yeah, uh, Greta Gerwig directed it, who mm-hmm. did uh, Lady Bird, is the movie of hers that I saw that came out a few years ago. I think she also did the latest version of Little Women. I did not see that. Uh, but Barbie has Ryan Gosling, great Canadian, great, mm-hmm. a, outstanding actor. Yes. Uh, and then Margot there's, Robbie. Then, then there's uh, Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Which is the Christopher Nolan latest uh, big movie, uh, f- famous cast about uh, building nuclear weapons. That's right. They're building the first one, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yes, they're going head to head. Which, uh, which, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, his movie's out already. What's it yes. called? Mis- Mission Impossible. I don't know what the subtitle is. Mission Impossible, This is Impossible. I think that's what it's There's called. There's a whole bunch of numbers with that one, too. It's like uh, part something, part one. I think I it's can't. Dead Reckoning, part one. There you go, But he was, he was upset because these other movies are going to come out, and they're going to take the uh, his movie off the IMAX screens. I, th- I think I was I was reading that. Hmm, okay. But the Mission Impossible series has generally been quite good. I think most of the movies are enjoyable and quite outrageous when it comes to the action sequence. Mm-hmm. So anyway... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, I give it a lukewarm recommendation, I guess is what I'm saying. It is good. It okay. is fun. It is not awesome. Like when I saw The Last Crusade in the theaters, I left thinking, well, that was awesome. That's almost a perfect movie. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Kellen, what do you have? All right. Uh, Pat texts in and says, the year uh, that Shreveport was in the CFL was awful. They played in Calgary, and the TSN turning point was the opening kickoff. That's from Pat. <laughs> that is a great memory. Uh, Shre- <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, Shreveport Pirates. Now I want to try, because I've been looking up all their uh, results. Uh, Shreveport 
at Calgary, Friday, mm. October 21st, 1994. Okay. Final score, Shreveport 8, hmm. Calgary 52. Oh, boy. So I'm sure that's the game that he's talking about. That is a heck of a memory. Thank you. So Doug Flutie padded stats that night. Uh, I think it was, yeah, Flutie was still there in 94. Yeah, he was still then, there, he, yeah. then he moved on, yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Man. And that was a powerful Calgary team, too, back then. They had, very good they had, team. Very good team. Very good team, yeah. Uh, we've got Rolly texting in and says, the CFL could have survived in Baltimore if the NFL hadn't gone back there. The Stallions had good fan support, would have had, or would have always had a good team since they could have had an All-American roster. Uh, as for the other cities, the CFL would have been better off putting a team in Seba Beach. That's from Rolly. And that's a good thing to bring up is that if you had an American expansion team, you could have All-American players, right? They, they, they were, and they, and they wanted, uh, I think they wanted the whole league to do I was reading today and that some owners wanted basically to switch to almost entirely NFL rules four downs smaller fields stuff like that they did make an allowance for end zone size to be smaller in some of the NFL in some of the American stadiums but the field was still 110 yards uh, yards long uh, expansion team in Seba Beach Callum that could be our next prop uh, our next uh, uh, project the halftime show would be the slaw <laughs> That's right, we'd have wrestling at halftime. Jamie Nye is coming up.